Listener Production. So this week, the State of the Environment report was released and the new Labor government has accused the former Morrison government of sitting on this report since December, holding off its release until after the election because it was so bad. Individually, every one of these revelations is dreadful, but it's only when you think about the cumulative impact that you begin to get the full picture of environmental decline. So in this episode of The Briefing, is Tanya Plibersek, the new Environment Minister, right about the government sitting on the report? And what is in the report that's so concerning? We're going to speak to one of its co-authors. Every time we get rid of a bit of bush, no matter how small, that's another bit of habitat that's gone. That's another little place where something could have lived. That's our briefing first. Today's headlines with Rihanna Patrick. It is Thursday, July 21. Hey Tom, hey briefers. Two of Australia's biggest employers are telling staff to work remotely. Telstra and Westpac say there's no requirement for employees to be in the office as COVID cases push past 50,000 a day. Yet the Prime Minister is ruling out more COVID restrictions. No one's arguing uh, for those economic constraints to be brought back. We do need uh, to uh, continue to have an economy that functions whilst looking after people's health. So that was Anthony Albanese on Melbourne's 3AW yesterday. The health ministers are going to meet today to discuss this third wave. Uh, It's getting pretty serious. We've got over 5,000 people in hospital now with COVID, over 160 in ICU, and the current daily death rate is at 59 deaths a day. Rihanna, you did warn me the pandemic's not over. Well, I did say that and uh, it's um, also interesting that a lot of the government departments haven't made a call on this just yet about where the staff need to work from home but the ACTU has called for N95 masks to be worn indoors uh, for indoor workers, paid sick leave for those isolating and a bunch of other requests as well so it seems that uh, we're well into the third wave at the moment. And Russia says it's expanding the war in Ukraine and also is threatening to cut off Europe's gas supply. Uh, The foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, says the military focus is no longer only on the east of Ukraine because the West supplied Ukraine with longer range weapons. They say it means they have to push Ukrainian forces further from the front line to ensure their own security. Yeah, this threat comes as the EU braces for Russia to cut off all gas supplies. Russia is blackmailing us. And therefore, in any event, whether it's a partial major cutoff of Russian gas or a total cutoff of Russian gas, Europe needs to be ready. That's President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, there. Yeah, so the EU has told member states on Wednesday to cut gas usage by 15% until March as an emergency step. And this comes after the Russian-controlled Gazprom already cut its gas exports via the European pipeline to 40% capacity in June. Boris Johnson has given his final speech as Prime Minister in the British House of Commons. I've helped to get this country through a pandemic and helped save another country from barbarism. And frankly, that's enough to be going on with. Mission largely accomplished. Oh my goodness. I wonder if that's the last speech we're ever going to hear from Boris Johnson. Probably not, I suppose. No, I doubt it. (laughs) 
Yeah, so he resigned from the, the job of Prime Minister earlier this month following the wave of resignations over his role in promoting an MP accused of sexual misconduct, plus, of course, his handling of the Downing Street lockdown parties. And now, Rihanna, I guess we're in a, a struggle to find out who will be the next leader. Yeah, and it looks like it's a two horse race, as they say, uh, between the former Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, and Foreign Secretary Liz Truss, um, who are the final two candidates in the running for the Prime Ministership. Um, and the result will be announced in September following a party vote. And our international airports will be installing sanitation mats in a bid to ward off foot and mouth disease coming from Indonesia. Really the idea is that when people get off the plane, they'll walk over these mats that are covered in citric acid, but I cannot emphasise enough how important it is for people to take responsibility themselves, clean their shoes, and as I say, if they really don't need them to come back, then leave them behind. That's Agriculture Minister Murray Watt there, and fragments of the disease have been found in imported meat here, but luckily the virus has been dead. Yeah, that's pretty scary in itself, though. So the disease, foot and mouth, could cost $80 billion if it comes here to Australia and decimates uh, our meat industry. Um, So, yeah, obviously a lot of concern over this over the last few weeks since we found out foot and mouth had gotten into Indonesia. And as um, Aussie tourists go over to Bali, uh, potentially treading cow shit and then come home. So Hopefully these sanitation mats, where apparently you walk onto the mat and they sort of disinfect your shoes, hopefully they can make a difference and we can keep our livestock um, industry healthy. Yeah, Tom, and I guess, you know, Australia has been free of this disease for more than a century. Yeah, so we'd hate that to end. Rio Tinto will hand over a billion dollars in unpaid taxes in order to settle a decade-long tax dispute with the ATO. This follows an investigation into its Singapore operations, which they used as a marketing hub to reduce Australian tax bills. Yeah, so this is a good news story. Um, That practice where they use different parts of their international operations to avoid taxes in the, the higher taxing jurisdictions like ours is called transfer pricing. And the ATO have been doing their best to try and rein in some of that tax. Um, They set up uh, a tax avoidance unit in 2016. And so far, in the first five years of that task force, they've raised $23 billion in tax liabilities from companies like Google, BHP, Apple and Microsoft. And the latest is this extra money they're getting out of Rio Tinto. Don't we love to hear that, Rihanna? Yeah, look, uh, what is it over a billion dollars? Not not the kind of bill you might want to have from the ATO. Yeah, might pay for some of those sanitisation mats at the airports. Okay, Rihanna, we'll catch you tomorrow in the headlines. In just a moment, Antoinette Latouf joins me to talk about the State of the Environment Report. All right, let's talk about the State of the Environment report. It is finally out. It comes out every five years. And unsurprisingly, Antoinette Latouf, um, the news isn't great. Oh, gosh, that's an understatement. Um, it's worse than not so good. It's pretty terrible, um, so much so that experts have described the findings as an existential threat to our survival, uh, that it will bring about societal collapses with long-lasting and severe consequences. So one of the realities from this report is that we've lost more mammal species here in Australia than any other continent on Earth, um, along with hundreds of plant species. 
And that's because of a, a vicious cocktail of climate change, land clearing, pollution and feral pests. Yeah, so to explain what's in the report, one of its co-authors, Dr Ian Cresswell, joins us on the briefing. He's a former research director at CSIRO. Ian, which part of this report concerns you the most? Oh, there's so many things in here that are both um, bad and good. Um, For me, what I've learnt most in the journey has been around the need for Australians to connect to country. And our Indigenous co-authors helped immensely with all of the authors. I'm a non-Indigenous author. To better understand connection to country and that if you look after country, it looks after you. So for me, in the long term, it's about Australians, all Australians, And this was very much the sentiment of all our authors, that all Australians get to better connect back to Australia, get to understand what we have and what we might lose if we continue on the current trajectory, and to then start to take action to change that trajectory. That's really interesting because for you, it's more about an individual response, an individual connection, because for a long time, it's been you know, a bit more macro. Policymakers need to do more. Government needs to do more. But you're suggesting individuals need to make that connection first? Well, governments do what the people want. So I I think for way too long, we've just relied on government to fix things. And if government knows that Australians are concerned about this and they want a proper response, then governments will respond. And likewise, industry. Industry is very concerned about their public image, about making sure that they have a social licence to operate. They're very interested to know that Australians respect them and want them to continue. And then the community itself, there's so many fantastic organisations working in Australia to make a difference. I just encourage everybody to seek your local community group out, whatever it is. It could be land care, it could be wildlife care, uh, it could be anything. But just find a way of reconnecting back with this beautiful country. All right, let's talk about what's in it specifically. You look at the number of threatened species and the number of plant and animal species listed as threatened has gone up. It was about 1,700 five years ago. Now it's at 1,900. That's an 8% increase. In a longer lens um, historical look at threatened species, is that bad? Is that quite concerning? Well, we don't have fantastic data on, on all species lost in Australia. And of course, this is just listed species. This is things that we know about we've done research on and that we've been monitoring so that we're actually able to say that they're in a worse condition and therefore their level of threat is elevated and therefore they've been listed for action to happen. We don't even know 70% of the species in Australia yet. So we are losing things all the time without even knowing that we're losing them. I would say that in terms of species loss, it's directly related to habitat loss. So Every time we get rid of a bit of bush, no matter how small, in any corner of of our yard or property or council land area, whatever it is, that's another bit of habitat that's gone. That's something, another little place where something could have lived. Yeah, it is concerning. Does an 8% increase in this last five-year period represent a speeding up of species loss or is it consistent or slower? Where's that tracking? I think it is slight increase. What you find is different ministers who do the listing list slower. So we know that in the past, certain environment ministers have been more inclined to list species and others have been less inclined. So the listing process, often by conservative governments, has been slower. And the 8% increase over that period of a coalition government actually is a significant increase. 
I'm not saying we shouldn't have any clearing. I'm saying that we should have clearing that's responsible and make sure that we maintain enough habitat for the animals and plants that live in that area. But we do know that in the last five years, particularly in Queensland and New South Wales, there, there has been an increase in clearing and their own state data shows us that. These things have not then been subject to federal environmental law. So in the last um, seven years, there was about 7.7 million hectares cleared. Of that, 93% was not referred to the federal environment minister. So 7.1 million hectares was cleared and wasn't actually logged by the federal government. Yeah, that gives us a suggestion that we're not managing and monitoring land clearing properly. It does sound pretty concerning that it's speeding up despite how aware we are the impact this has on so many species. Is most of this land clearing happening for farming purposes or expanding our suburbs? Uh, It's both of those things. Definitely the peri-urban area, the area around our urban environments has been increasing rapidly. And we find actually there's more listed threatened species around our cities and towns than in any other place. And that's because, you know, we're continuing to grow in all directions around our urban areas. But also for farming, yes, agriculture has a, a major impact. And weirdly, it's also relating to re-clearing. So in many parts of Australia, we're re-clearing at a fast rate. So it's cleared. That's re-cleared only a few years later. And that doesn't give many of the organisms uh, that live in those ecosystems a chance to recover. So it's primary clearing, but it's also re-clearing that are major issues. Is it mostly southeast Queensland where the bulk of this clearing is happening and those those suburbs are growing? Uh, no, it, it, I mean, southeast Queensland is a significant area, but it's also throughout Queensland and also into New South Wales, the, the major areas by aerial extent. And obviously climate change is covered extensively in the report. What are the main ways climate change is damaging our environment? So one of the big things is increasing heat and also drought. So the last 10 years, we've seen the largest increase in hot days. So it's been a very hot and dry decade. In 2019, you'll recall, we had a very hot year. It was Mm. the hottest year on record. And, of course, that then led to extensive bushfires. Mm. And those bushfires have a massive impact on animals. It's been estimated billions of native animals died in those fires. So as you can imagine, those sorts of extremes of climate have a massive impact on our plants and animals. And you said there was some good news in the report. What's that? (laughs) So there are, there are good news. I think the growing uptake of Indigenous land management, the growing increase in Indigenous protected areas, they're both very encouraging trends. And then also the growing use of citizen science. So people actually getting out there, using their smartphones just to record things, put it into the Atlas of Living Australia, for instance, and participating. So to me, that's the way that we can turn it around is by better participating in our environment. And the more you know something, the more you look after it. The new Labor Environment Minister, Tanya Pibasek, has accused the former government of sitting on the report. And the former Environment Minister has since acknowledged that she got it in December. When were you expecting it to be made public? So that's a matter for Susan Lay, the previous Environment Minister. It's her responsibility to release the report within 15 sitting days. We gave it to her in December of last year. But then the government didn't sit very much in the first half of this year. In fact, they only had 10 sitting days 
in the, the whole of 2022 before they went into caretaker mode. So she wasn't legally obliged mm. to, to release it. Obviously, many of the authors would have liked it to be released earlier, but it really is um, a matter for her to describe those actions. Right. So she didn't technically do the wrong thing, but potentially given so much time passed with so few sitting days, you might have expected she'd release it before May 21. Oh, yes, she could have, absolutely. But um, as I say, that's for her to consider. More importantly for me is the future, and I'm very happy that the, the new Environment Minister has wanted to understand the report and to take it seriously. And so, therefore, I'm looking forward to new ways of getting the message out, but also uh, helping to turn things around. The next report will be released in five years, and obviously these findings are sobering, they're depressing, they're alarming. Um, But what is the best-case scenario from where we're currently standing? Like, how much can be salvaged and turned around if we act? I think we can do quite a lot of things. I mean, obviously, climate has a major impact on people and on the environment, and so we need to buffer ourselves from that. But in terms of individual efforts, we can maintain our current sets of plants and animals across Australia and turn around the trend. I mean, yes, it'll take time, it'll take money, it'll take energy, but it's not impossible. And uh, I remain positive that if the Australian people understand the assets that they have, that they'll want to protect them. Dr Ian Cresswell, co-author of the State of the Environment Report, also an adjunct professor at UNSW. I don't know about you, Tom, but for me, I'm feeling a little bit more hopeful Reading the findings, listening to the um, the commentary and the experts freaked me out a little bit, thinking, oh, my God, we've, we've, we've stuffed up so badly. We've neglected this both at an individual level um, and political level for so long that how are we going to come back from it? So for me, it was pretty heartening and reassuring to know that it's not too late and we can do something. And I guess my key takeaway is that... Um, yeah, that individual response. I hadn't thought about that. Sometimes when issues are, that, are this big, you feel like, as an individual, what can I do? It's, mm. it's so much larger than me. This is a global problem. But yeah, creating that groundswell and you know, businesses and, the mar- and markets and governments respond to collective individual concerns. Yeah. I think the most concerning thing for me was that land clearing is speeding up. Mm. You know, For all we know about how important native habitats are for so many parts of our ecosystem that we wouldn't actually stop land clearing, in fact, be replanting forests so that we have a net increase in in native vegetation. Um, that, that concerned me. Um, on the politics of the report release, I guess the Morrison government was really up against it in the environmental space, as we eventually saw in those teal seats. So I can understand that they maybe did deliberately delay this because any more bad news in that space was only going to hurt them in quite a vulnerable policy area. Yeah, absolutely. They, you know, obviously wouldn't have changed the election outcome for the better, probably would have made it worse. Listener.